Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Judges, chapter 3, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, if you're there, say amen. Now these are the nations which the Lord left. Left where? In the promised land with them. That he might test, would you circle that? Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was also so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war. That's interesting. At least those who had not formerly known it, namely five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, the Hivites who dwell in Mount Lebanon from Mount Baal, Hermon, to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of of Moses. Stop right there. Give me your attention. I want you to notice something here. The Lord intentionally left the nations, the heathen nations, to dwell in the land for two purposes. Two purposes and two purposes only. Number one, to test them. And secondly, to teach them war. Number one, to test them. Now you remember, The people didn't remove the nations from the territory as God had said. And so God allowed the enemy to remain in the land to test Israel to see if they and when they would fully follow the father or not. In other words, God doesn't always remove temptation because he wants us to choose to turn away from the temptation And turn to him. So God doesn't always. How many times have you wondered. And I have wondered. God why don't you just take this out of my life. I mean look you're God. You can pull this off. I mean this is no big deal for you. I mean God why don't you just take whatever it might be. Fill in the blank. Just take it out of my life God. I mean one time I was talking to a brother. And he told me that you know. If God wanted this temptation out of my life, then he would just take it from me. And I thought, that's stupid. If God wanted, you know, kind of boastful, you know, if God wanted to take this temptation, didn't want me to be tempted or whatever, he said like that, then he would just take it out of my life and and, and it would be gone, he said. Well, well, not, not really, not really. You see, God doesn't always remove temptation because sometimes he wants to see if you love him more than you love that person, possession, thing. So God will oftentimes 
allow the temptation to remain in the land (laughs) in your midst so that he can see how much you love him. And if you love him, then the Bible says to us that we are to flee temptation and don't leave a forwarding address. Say amen. Y'all understand. We're to flee. First Corinthians 6 tells us to flee temptation. So God allowed the enemy to remain in the land to test Israel. A test. You know, it was Chuck Smith who said this. I love this statement. I've said, quoted it many times. Chuck said, when, when, when God puts you to a test, try to pass it because you might just have to take it again. <laughs> Amen. I remember when I was in high school 10 years ago. And uh, <laughs> what? And, 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 and I remember, you know, we would spend in high school, you remember in school, you would spend several months learning a subject. But the gauge as to whether you understood or learned anything was test day. I hated test day. And I particularly hated test day for the subject of math. I am awful. I am horrible. Do I have any co Really bad people in math. Okay, good. That's a lot of us. I'm not alone. Thank you, Lord. And, and I'm just really, really bad at math. And so when test day came, I mean, this was like serious psychological damage to me. When I had to take a test in math, I just absolutely hated it. And, and yet in other subjects, like just other subjects, I was pretty good, actually, in grammar and English. I, you know, I did pretty well. But um, in, in the subject of math, I just absolutely hated test day. And you see, God, in turn, likewise, teaches us many things in his word. And the test is whether or not anything you've heard will affect the way you live. That's the test. That's a toughie. Sometimes a hard test to pass. But have you learned anything? And if you've learned anything, then it will reflect in the way that we live. Heard a guy talking about just the other day how many Bibles he had on his shelf. I was like, <laughs> you know, how many Bibles he had? I got the King James and the New King James and the NIV and the NLT and the BBC. And I was like, man, you sound like a rapper, dude, you know, and the LIT and the NBC. And I was like, okay, all right, all right, you got a lot of Bibles. Okay, got it, got it, got it. And I immediately thought to myself, now, wait a minute. You know, it really doesn't matter how many Bibles you have, and it doesn't matter how many times you've gone through the Bible, but has the Bible gone through you? So in your NBC and the NLT and the NIV and all of these Bibles, has any of that gone through you? That's what I want to know. I don't care how many Bibles you have, but what about just one? I got one little skinny Bible, man. This is, this is all I got. You know, the other one, I got maybe one more, but that's it. But you know what? I got a lifetime of work here. I got a lifetime. Saints, I got a lifetime of work here. Don't you? I do. I got a lot of work. I got a lot of studying. I got a lot ahead of me. I just need one. Just just one. I use the holy and anointed version. And, uh, and what do you guys have? 
You know, just just the word, just that the word of God, God is testing his people. Secondly, God was not only testing Israel, but also God allowed the enemy to stay in the land. If you're taking notes to teach the new generation about war. In other words, God didn't want his people to become soft. God doesn't want you as a Christian or me as a Christian to become soft. Someone has rightly said the symbol for Christianity is a cross, not a feather bed. And that's true. God doesn't want us to get soft. He wants us to be prepared. Listen, be prepared. Listen, be prepared for war. This Christian life is no joke. You only need to be a Christian about a week and you kind of get it. It's not a joke. It's just real life stuff. Satan is a real enemy, just like Saddam Hussein and and, um, Osama bin Laden and whoever all else is our enemies. Real. Satan's a real enemy. And that's why the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Pull on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Therefore, would you read this with me? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, it goes on in the text. Go look it up in your own time. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Look, after you've done everything you can do by putting on the full armor of God, then what do you do? Stand. Doesn't say sit down and twiddle your thumbs. Doesn't say go chill out, kick back, get a Diet Pepsi, relax. None of that. Stand. And God will deliver. But we need to put on the full arm of God and be ready for war. And God didn't want his people to get soft. And that's why God allowed the enemy to stay in. You know why? Because spiritual warfare will keep you on your toes. It it really does. Spiritual warfare keeps you praying. Spiritual warfare keeps you seeking the word. I can prove it. Tell you what, get a trial in your life. Watch how your prayer life just automatically, it's amazing how it happens. But as soon as a trial comes, you're like, oh, God. Every day you spend time with God, you call out to God, you pray, you read the Bible, which is good. This is what you ought to be doing. But spiritual warfare causes us to stay on our toes. That's why when people, well, God doesn't want you to have any suffering, any trial. Malarkey. I'm sorry, I don't know where that word came from, but. (laughs) What are you saying? God doesn't want his people to have any spiritual warfare. Okay, well, then that makes this armor like of no effect. I mean, no, no, it's pointless. It's a moot point. No, no, no. Spiritual warfare is good. It can be good for you because it'll keep you praying. 
You become a godly person. You're most like God when you're spending time with him and praying and seeking the heart of the Lord. And this is what God wants from his people. Spiritual warfare is not bad. Don't run from it. Accept it. Be willing to accept it. Embrace it as a matter of fact. Let's go one step further. Embrace it. And hey, let's go one step further and give God thanks for it. For in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What are you going through? Embrace it and thank God for it. And stand. Put on the full armor of God. Well, then notice the text goes on in verse 5 of chapter 3. Thus the children of Israel, in verse 5, dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, the Parasites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons. And they serve their gods. Problem. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they forgot the Lord their God. And served the Baals and the Asherahs. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathim. King of Mesopotamia. This guy's name means, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this in your Bible. Twice wicked or double darkness. That's his name. So God sold them into the hands of this king, twice wicked, double darkness. And the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathium for eight years. Now, listen, listen close. Their sin, their sin was simple. What was their sin? It's simple. They were intermarrying with pagan nations, which led them to Baal and Asherah worship. Very, very evil. We'll talk about that type of worship some other time. But it's very evil. So they were intermarrying. This is God's problem. Now, need I say? Have I said? The Bible's clear. Intermarrying, contrary to popular opinion, is not black folks marrying white folks. Please say amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. It's not black people marrying white people or Asian people marrying black folks. Or blue people marrying green, thank you. Whatever. That is not what the Bible teaches when the Bible says that you shall not have mixed marriages. And it's unfortunate, i got to say, that there are a lot of churches today that when mixed couples walk in their doors, they are asked to go to another church. This is true stuff. And this is not good. because Somehow they believe God is against mixed marriages. The only mixed marriages God is against is believers marrying non-believers. This is what the Bible says. If you're a believer and you're seeking to marry a non-believer, that is a mixed marriage and that is a marriage that God is opposed to. God cares that you marry a Christian. Why? Because if you don't marry a Christian, that person is going to pull you down. You know, Sunday night I was talking to this sister out on the walkway there after I think it was foundation class or something or one of the other Bible studies. And uh, we were talking about people pulling you down. And she gave me a really good example, and I, I thought, that's pretty profound but simple. She said, you know, if you're sitting on a bar stool, it's easier for somebody to pull you down 
than for you to pull them up. We're talking about, you know, watching your walk and who you fellowship with and that kind of thing. And in the true, man, it's easy to be pulled down. You think, oh, no, not me. I can hang out in the world and I can, you know, I can go to clubs and witness. I can go to a club and witness. Oh, yeah, right. Be mindful. Man, the world will pull you back. Your flesh is weak. Your spirit is willing. I understand. But your flesh is, be careful. And that's why God says, I don't want my people marrying non-believers because what's going to happen is they're going to go after their gods. You see? And God's a jealous God. God's a jealous God. God doesn't like it when we worship other gods. He just doesn't. I mean, husbands, you wouldn't like it if your wife was having, inviting another man over for dinner with y'all, would you? No. Or having a relationship or an affair with another man. No. God is just like that. He doesn't want his wife off with other gods. And so that's biblical intermarrying. And this is the problem that God had with his people. Their sin was simple. Now, what led to their sin was a little bit more subtle. Did you notice? They dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. They were just hanging out with them, and they became tolerant. And they learned to appreciate diversity in their religious practices. We need to be careful of what we are becoming tolerant of. Very, very careful. In Deuteronomy, this is a fascinating scripture. God said they would do this before they did it. Deuteronomy 20, verse 15 through 18. Thus you shall do to all the cities which are very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations, but of the cities of these people, which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. You shall let nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them. Who? The Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations, which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. It's interesting because God said specifically that they were not to allow any of these people in verse 5 in our text to remain in the territory. They were to obliterate, exterminate, annihilate every man, woman, boy, and girl because they would cause them to go after other gods. Now, you want to take note of this, and then we'll move on. You want to take note of the downward spiral here or the downward progression. First of all, did you notice they dwelt among them? See, here's how they got to where they were. You know, people don't just wake up and decide to sin. People don't wake up and decide to backslide. People don't wake up and decide, well, I'm not going to love God anymore. This happens somewhere. This is a process. 
This is not something that just people just do it. It's a process. It began somewhere. Are you here? Are you backslidden? Is your heart hard against God? Well, listen, why not think about it for a second? Just think about it. That happens somewhere. Maybe you stop having your devotion time. Maybe you stop going to church. Maybe you stop fellowshipping. Maybe things got a little tense and a little heavy and you stop serving the Lord. Somewhere along your path of Christianity, your, your backslidden state began back there. And what's happening here is just the fruit of what has happened back there. You're reaping what you've sown. And we can see that very clearly here. First of all, did you notice they dwelt among the people? Secondly, they became linked to them in intermarriage. And then thirdly, they served their gods. Well, all this began when they dwelt among the people. And God said, don't do that. Deuteronomy, God said, and he, did you find it fascinating? I did. That the, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and all the other ites, that God specifically named those people way back in Deuteronomy. Here they are years and years and years later in the promised land, and it is exactly just as God said, those people who find themselves dwelling among God's people. God is so awesome. That's just cool. It is. It's just amazing. So they dwelt among them. They were linked to them, and then they served their gods. Notice in verse 9, when the children of Israel, now notice this, notice this, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, what did God do? He raised up a deliverer. Isn't he faithful? He raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel is his name, the son of Kenez. Caleb's younger brother and the spirit of the Lord came upon him underline that and he judged Israel and went out to war and the Lord delivered Cushan Reshathium king of Mesopotamia into his hand and his hand prevailed against that king so the Lord had rest or so the land had rest for 40 years then Othniel the son of Kenez died now It's eight years later. The people cry out to God for a deliverer. The Lord raised up their first judge, Othniel. This is different. Remember, remember when we think of judges, you don't want to think of a guy judicial behind an oak bench wearing a black robe with a gavel, gavel in his hand. You don't want to think judge like that. When the Bible talks about judges, this word judge speaks of a deliverer, speaks of a hero, speaks of a savior. So God raised up a savior. His name is Othniel. Othniel was Caleb's younger brother. And notice the Bible says in verse 9, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now, Bible students, listen. In the Old Testament, the spirit of the Lord, God's Holy Spirit, did not dwell in the hearts and the lives of people. He did not. Remember, Jesus said, when I go away, I send the spirit. So the spirit had not yet come. In the Old Testament, the spirit did not come to live within people. The spirit of God came upon people. 
The Spirit of God did not come to live within people until the very first time, you know the story, Jesus was gathered in the upper room, sitting with his disciples. And it was after he had died and resurrected from the dead, and he breathed on his disciples, and they received the Spirit. You know this story. But then God told them to go and wait in Jerusalem until they receive power from on high, and that power should come upon them to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other most parts of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So the first time that the Spirit of God dwelled inside of people was when Jesus breathed on his disciples. Prior to that, no one was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit of God came upon them. And here in our text, the Spirit of God came upon Othniel. And he judged Israel. And he went to war against double darkness king. And through the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon him, he defeated the king. And the land was free from oppression for 40 years. Look at verse 12. 40 years later, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And then he, Eglon, gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek and went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palm. Who knows what that city is? Jericho. Write it down. It's Jericho, the city of Palm. And so the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. They did evil in the sight of the Lord King Egon, God raised him up to oppress his people, to give him a spanking. And the chastening of the Lord is good because he loves us and he loves them. And this guy oppressed them for 18 years. But in verse 15, when the children of Israel carried, cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. Here's Israel's second deliverer, Ehud, the son of Girah, the Benjamite. Underline this, a left-hand man. Isn't that interesting? You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at one 800 Two nine three zero nine two three. That's one eight hundred two nine three zero nine two three. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light, and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you. Be salt and light. Let me be a song.